Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband Josh wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want, we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. They need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry, and then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way, and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church, exactly. knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. spoken, um, that you would open our hearts to a message that would transform our lives, um, that actually you do care about where we are and the, the real issues we're facing. And I pray, Lord, that you would, um, you would just tear down those walls that have kept us from you. And uh, whatever the pressing issue in our life is, would you come and comfort us in those things? And wake us up to what you're doing in our lives in your name. Amen. So Jesus' primary message is the kingdom of God is at hand. We've talked about this over and over again. That God's way of life is available to everyone. That, in fact, is the good news. The good news is that you are invited into the kingdom. That um, the resources of heaven are at your fingertips here and now. You can reach out and touch it. 
you can um, experience it for yourselves. That this, in fact, is the good news. That the good news that Jesus was announcing is that you are invited in to a life with God. And this, this is the profound proclamation of what we call the gospel. That God invites us in, loves us as we are, and not as we should be. Such good news. This is good news. This is the good news. And we get it. Some of us. We've experienced it at points in our lives. And, and we get this, you know, this, maybe some of us get this idea of the kingdom, you know, when we pray for people. We're praying, God, your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And we, we get it in church experiences. We get this kingdom life when we're, when we're reading the Bible and when we're, we're in community groups. Um, but I, I've been asking the question, what does it mean really? What does the kingdom of God life really mean for us when we're driving on the 405 in traffic? What does it really mean there? Does it mean anything for the the new mom who is struggling with anxiety and depression? And she faces this tension between this old life she had and this new life that involves a child dependent on her. And she's dealing with panic attacks as she goes from feed to nap to panic attack to to bedtime routine. Does the kingdom mean anything for her in that situation? Does the life of Jesus bring anything to us in our workplace? I mean, I think about... um, So many of us, you know, as teachers, as dentists, as plumbers, as business owners, as we rush around exhausted from meeting after meeting, from appointment after appointment, we're tired, we're frustrated, and our life is really not what we want it to be. It's like there's this tension uh, around the way we're living, and yet we feel deep inside of us that there's a way we really want to live, and it's over here, and we just can't figure out how to get there. Does anyone else struggle with these things? So as I've been processing that in my own life, that the way I struggle with anger, the way I struggle with a a restlessness that corrupts my soul. You know, every year, my wife says, every few months, you have um, your own form of PMS, is what she says. (laughs) It's true. I call it the tortured artist in me. And, and what I realize is that seasons come and, and I, just, I just go. I just keep going and going and doing more and more and more and more. And then my soul gets to the point where I'm just burnt out emotionally, physically burnt out. I just get so exhausted and tired. And I come to this place again where I'm like, how did I get here again? And I, I call it a relapse. I'm realizing this, uh, you know, where, where you just you pour yourself out over and over again. And you're doing all this good. And, and some of it's bad. You know, some of the behaviors that I've adopted of the numbing out because I don't feel good enough. You know, so numbing out is usually a ton of Netflix or social media. Or it's this need to control. I just got to have power. I just got to I got to I got to make everyone happy. I got to do all this stuff in front of me and say yes and yes and yes. And my soul is just exhausted. And it's like my bucket. If this was my life, <laughs> rather than Sundays coming and just giving just giving a little bit and it's full. I'm just I'm just emptying myself of everything every week. Does anyone else feel like this on Monday morning or by Friday? For me, it's Thursday afternoon because I take Fridays and Saturdays off and I'm just exhausted. And I wonder, what does the kingdom of God look like 
in our lives as, as burnt out individuals who are tired, as students who are, who are disappointed with where they're at, full of self-doubt, as, as stay-at-home moms, does Jesus and his life mean anything to us in our ordinariness? These are the questions that have got me thinking about this series. And what does the, this life of Jesus really have to offer this life here and now? You know, so many of the teachings we hear uh, in Christian church is that, um, well, the life that you're going to live that's really good is, is for, waiting for you when you die. You know, and so the message is um, you accept Jesus to solve the problem that you need to go somewhere after you die. That's heaven or hell. And he's your entrance into heaven. So it's about waiting here and now for eventually experiencing all that Jesus talks about in the New Testament. And I just I, that is not Jesus's message at all. Jesus's death brings life to our, our life now before we die. Let me say that one more time because that's news to someone. Jesus' death gives us life to our life here and now before we die. But so many of us are struggling with anxiety and anger and lust and lies and living for everything else and defining ourselves outside of our relationship with Jesus. So how do we reconcile those two worlds that it's about here and now? And yet we, we live in this, this tension, and I'm ho- hopefully you're experiencing the tension as I talk, that, that I, I, I want to experience a life without anger and lust and, 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 and bitterness and jealousy and envy, but, but that's not where I'm at fully. So how, how do we get there? Because I think that's what Jesus has. Jesus' message, you know, he says in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is asked by a teacher of the law, hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so many of us think that the question is, what do I do to get to heaven? But the teacher of the law was, was uh, Jewish, and his, the understanding of eternal life was about life here and now. What do I do to live the blessed life, a whole life, the age-to-come life, the, the kingdom life? How do I live that here and now? That, that was his question. It wasn't, what do I do to get there? It's how do I experience the life of God here? And so we recognize that the message of Christ actually takes root in our ordinary life. That it matters how you drive on the 405. And so this series is about that kind of life, learning how to live in the kingdom here and now. You with me? So, Jesus says he offers us life here and now in some of the passages. Go to John chapter 10. I just want to give you, again, this is just an introduction. Um, and I want to introduce a, a new concept for some of you of, of what transformation looks like. Um, the, John 10.10, 10, it says, The thief comes to only steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full or have it in abundance. That's what Jesus came to do. Mark or Matthew chapter 11, go there and highlight these passages. Look at the words of Jesus to you. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I'll wait for you. Go to Matthew chapter 11. I want you to have your Bibles and highlight this passage because this is the word more than anything else this morning. I just want to remind you that this is Jesus's word for you. He says, come to me, chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, 
and my burden is light. You know, um, for a first century rabbi to talk about yoke, he's referring to his teaching. So rabbis would talk about raise calling disciples to follow them, and they would want to put their yoke on their disciples so that they would spread their yoke around the world. That's what rabbis did. They, they disciple people to basically expand their teaching. And Jesus is saying his, his, his teaching is, is, uh, is, you can learn from him, will give you rest. It's easy and it's light. Is that good news? As opposed to Pharisees in his day, which was form of, a form of religion, that was a burden on so many common people. Yet, so many people I know that follow this Jesus don't have a light burden. They do not have rest in their lives. The number one thing I hear when I ask how you're doing is busy. And we, we carry around busyness like it makes us valuable. And Jesus confronts our religious systems and does away with that. And so, I, you know, I just want to ask what... What, is it, what do those passages mean if you're struggling, struggling with real issues like alcoholism as a Christian? What do these passages mean for those that their marriages have become a place of resentment and bitterness? And they have no hope of even loving their spouse again. And they're Christians. What does it mean uh, for the person that has been a Christian their whole life, but they have adopted a set of beliefs about themselves that have caused their lives to, to take on dietary habits, what they don't or what they do eat, that cause significant implications for how they look physically? Does Jesus change our body image issues? Does he deal with those serious things? Does he deal with the serious things like pornography or self-harm? Does Jesus care about those things? And the answer is yes. That wherever you find yourself on the spectrum of life, whether you're struggling with issues of, of, of addiction to drugs, pain medication, whether you're struggling with anxiety and depression, whether you're struggling with rage or pornography and lust, whether you're struggling with lies, whether you're struggling with uh, the need for approval, Jesus comes to renew your life here and now and set you free from those burdens. That's what I believe. And more than anything in the world, that's what I want you to experience. That's what I want the garden to experience. Is this life of the kingdom and experience of transformation? Because Jesus comes to offer us a new way to live. It is possible to live without inappropriate anger, without lust, without greed, without envy. It is possible to live for an audience of one, just Jesus we can actually learn to love our enemies and we can learn to have a life full of hope and peace and joy because that's what Jesus comes to give us. And this series is a look at ways we can enter into the kingdom of God. We can align ourselves with Jesus and his teachings because what I believe is when you really discover the real Jesus and the God of the scriptures, you see that he's irresistible. He's, he's irresistible, but then he invites you to have an irresistible life. So it's called irresistible. Because we're called to be irresistible, to live in such a way with our friends and family, with our, our personal lives, with our, our co-workers, that people notice something about us. That just the way we say hi to the barista, that somebody's going to stop and say, what else is going on in their life? I want to become like them. Do you know those kinds of people? The people that sit across from you at Starbucks and have conversations with you and they're just totally present. It's like they're nowhere else but right there, and what you say matters. Can we become 
those kinds of people. So how do we get there? How do we experience this life? This is the journey I want to take us on over the next few weeks through uh, Christmas and New Year's. We're going to look at a series through the Sermon on the Mount and various teachings of Jesus. Um, So how do we, I want to just change now, that's the introduction to the series. Does that sound fun? How do we experience then the kingdom life? How do we enter into this new reality? We, we understand the message. It's God's way. We recognize that God loves us. He died on the cross for us, that our identities are found in him. But how do we, how do we tangibly step into this kingdom life? And I want to I teach through a series of things real quick, and then we'll, we'll close in just a moment. But first, uh, how do we get there? And, and let's go to Matthew chapter 5. A couple of things I'm just going to highlight about the kingdom, because the way you think it works, it doesn't work that way. Because the way life works is the opposite of the way the kingdom works. So how do we experience the kingdom life personally? So Matthew 5, verse 20. Jesus says this, and we'll have these on the screen. It says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is uh, doing the Sermon on the Mount. He's preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And one of uh, the the common uh, groups, the religious groups of his day were the Pharisees. And basically they were legalists. They added uh, 1,600 more laws on top of the the other laws. So there there were like 200 and something laws they had to follow um, in order to have the eternal life, the blessed life. And it was just uh, about basically... Not doing certain things. It was defined by their behavior. So uh, it, it was to be to be righteous was to not murder. Um, to be righteous was uh, to not uh, to not have a, to not commit adultery. And so they built these basically fences, these these uh, fences around the laws. But Jesus comes and he says, you have to have a righteousness greater than the Pharisees, who of that time would have been uh, the most righteous people, the holiest people that everyone thought about. You know, and so Jesus says you have to have a righteousness greater than those people, than the Billy Grahams and, you know, the um, whoever else we would put on that pedestal, the um, Rick Warrens and those individuals. Those are the holy people out there, you know, Um, and, and Jesus says you have to have righteousness greater than that because he says it's not defined by what you do. It's defined by who you are. So you hear that it's about not, not committing adultery, but I say it's about lust. You hear it's not committing murder. I say it's about anger. You say it's not divorce. I say let your yes be yes or, or whatever it is. Jesus constantly redefines what righteousness is to be about your heart. How do we enter into the kingdom? By recognizing it's not just what we do. It's about what's in our hearts. Your inner life is what matters. Because if you begin to define your success in the kingdom by what you can do, you're missing it. Because that's just a religious system. And Jesus is after your heart, the source of your life and decisions and beliefs. That's where it starts. You with me? Okay, go to um, Mark chapter 10. How do we experience the kingdom of God in our own lives? This is how we begin to enter into the kingdom, recognizing that Jesus wants the source of our lives, our hearts. Mark 10 verse 15 says this. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. We live in a world that's about taking power. It's about control. It's about grasping. But Jesus says in the kingdom of God, we must have the tr- uh, trusting disposition of a child. He insists on our posture of powerlessness. The way into the kingdom is complete surrender. That in fact, you have no power in your own strength. 
But that comes from Jesus. And in context, children really had no power or position in society. And so you, if you compare that to the self-help books, there's a lot you can do with your will. Just think right things and it will be done for you. You can make it happen. Your best life now. Jesus says the way we operate in the kingdom is by letting go, by surrendering, by recognizing the powerlessness we have and learning to receive life, not grasp after life. You with me? So how do we enter the kingdom through the surrender? John chapter three, verse five. John chapter three, verse five. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. The only way to experience the life that God has for you is by surrendering your life to the Spirit. By welcoming the Spirit of God into your life. And allowing the Spirit to give birth to new habits, new thoughts, new ways of existence. You with me? Matthew chapter 7 verse 24 says this. Um, Matthew chapter 7. How do we enter into the kingdom? Um, Therefore... Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house. And it fell with a great crash. Jesus says, look, the way to experience the kingdom of God, the way to experience this life is by acting on his words. We live out of his words. We choose to to live out of the words that he says because that's what's best for us in our lives. You see, that's what we need more than anything. Jesus uh, says that we enter into the kingdom through through surrender and humility, through Trust and willingness to begin working on our hearts in order to become the kinds of person God wants us to become. Jesus doesn't demand us to live a certain way in order to get his blessing or to get into heaven if we die. He simply tells us what is true and ultimately what is real. He warns us against lust, not because he's approved, but because he knows it destroys humans, human lives if it's left unchecked. He tells us not to worry, not because it will give us ulcers, although that's true, but because um, people who live with him in the kingdom need not to worry. It's simply a waste of time if you know who he is. So lust and worry and judgment and anger, retaliation, pride and uh, are never good or beautiful. And they don't lead us to a life of freedom. And and we cannot find happiness or joy apart from obedience in Jesus's teachings. That's simply it. I believe that Jesus, if you follow Jesus, the real Jesus long enough, you will become a better human. That you will become a better person. Uh, not because you aren't good enough, but because there's so much more to experience. You'll become better as a co-worker, as a friend, as a spouse, as a parent. If you follow Jesus, your capacity for life is limited to your availability and openness to God. The more you're open and available to God to, to fill you, the more you will experience in this life. The life of joy and peace and wholeness that we're longing for. So oftentimes we limit our capacity for life by our decisions to live outside of the way of God. Um, What do I mean by that? We limit our capacity to fully experience life when we live outside of the ways of God and Jesus' teachings. Um, When we choose to... uh, Sex is a gift. 
It is a gift from God. But when we choose to operate outside of the boundaries of the gift, where it's designed to flourish in marriage, a covenantal relationship, because sex is so powerful and it's such a strong gift that it's designed for a covenantal marriage, a relationship between a man and a woman. Because of that power, when we operate outside of that, we see its harmful, destructive paths in our lives. Do you guys know that? That anger actually is designed uh, for human, uh, human beings to recognize uh, when, when a boundary is crossed. But we have not been trained to use our anger appropriately. Uh, Bill talked about anger. I think it was Chris last week talked about anger making the whip, right, in the temple. And he, he was angry against what, what, uh, was in, what was he considered injustice. We have to be trained in our anger. When we operate outside of its design, we can be harmful with our, our path of anger. Do you know what I'm talking about? So we're designed to live in this path, this safe place, this true self, where we flourish as human beings. And Jesus is the only way to get there. And so our lives, we have, to, we have to surrender ourselves. We have to recognize that it's about our hearts. It's a way of the Spirit, but it's also acting and choosing to lay, live in response to Jesus' words. Because I believe that um, if we live out of that centered place, that's the language we're going to use over the, couple of, the next couple of weeks, this, this place where we're standing in the center of where God wants us and who we are, that we will experience the life of peace, we will experience the life of joy despite circumstances. We will experience rest and because we, we were built for, for purity and joy and honesty and love. We were built for adventure. And, and, and that's where the, more, the, the life that we really want exists, right in that centered space. And the way to get there is through surrender, through submission and sacrifice, through letting God speak to our hearts. But when we step outside of that area, we don't experience all that God has for us. And so this conversation is coming from lots of conversations I've been having with lots of friends in church where people are dealing with real issues and issues they've dealt with their whole lives. Um, And I believe that God can break through in our lives over the next few weeks and bring us uh, to a place where we can change behaviors. We can change our our false narratives in our minds and experience this radical transformation. Um, And because I believe there's so much more. I believe it for my own life and my wife and my my family, but I believe it for us. Because I was reminded of this when, when somebody brought a present over for Ezra. I was just going to be one in a couple of days or in a couple of weeks. So we have a one-year-old and you bring presents for a one-year-old, but this is their mindset. Don't, they don't really get like what a present is. So we pull out the toy out of the package, but he doesn't want anything to do with the toy. He just wants the package. It's like you have this box and, and he loves the box. It's like you gave him the most amazing toy in the world, but it's just a, a box. It's just this package. And that's all it is. And so many of us, that's how we live with Jesus. We're celebrating the packaging. And Jesus is like, I've got so much more for you. Let me in. I want you to experience this greater thing that is the life of the kingdom invading every aspect of your soul so that you can do what I would do if I were you without thinking. yeah so you don't have to look at the bracelet what would Jesus do it's just natural (laughs) oh gosh so I'm having fun I'm so clearly I'm like Pete on his guitar just going for it right now because I love watching him go for it in fact, every Sunday I tell a worship team, there's one thing you need to do. Just go for it. That's all I say. It's a true worship experience. <laughs> all right. So, um, 
So I'm going to close with this. How, how do we actually change? Is change possible? Is it possible? Can we actually experience transformation? Now, so many of us in our lives, um, you know, we've been taught, just pray more. Just read the Bible. How is the Bible, and, and I don't want to diminish the power of prayer or the Bible, but how is the Bible going to make you more vulnerable as a husband? How does that, how does that life happen? And I, and I get what Christians are saying, but there's so much more. So how do we actually work out our salvation? How do we work out our transformation with Jesus? So here, here's a picture that I have. And this is like robbed from so many great writers like Dallas Willard. And, and, um, but, but they have this concept of, of what transformation looks like. And he uses a triangle, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mix it up a little bit. And, and I want to start with the top left because um, uh, we, we, we have to start with true narratives. Now, our ability to choose to change is called will, our will. Okay, stay with me. This is very technical, but I think it's very helpful. But our ability to choose is something called the will. And a lot of people say um, willpower will will produce change. And that is not accurate because the will actually doesn't have any power. It is influenced by three primary things, your mind, your body and your social context. Okay, so stay with me because it will all come back to this. But so our mind is the ability, ability to think and, and create emotions about something that cause us to make a decision and move our will into action. Our body is, is, is full of physiological impulses um, that are happening, are firing all the time without us even thinking. We don't have to think about certain things. Like you, when, you, uh, when your, your body feels hungry, it sends messages to your brain that says you're hungry. And so the mind says, go get some food. That's how your body works. Do you guys know that happens on a regular basis? Like, okay, thank God. Because um, then we're, we're going to go way back over here. Um, and I can't teach that class. So we'll send you back to school. But anyways, um, then there's people. How many of you know about peer pressure that the people you're around influence the decisions you make? So those are the primary influences of the will, your mind, your body, and the people around you. Just because you want to be different, just because you do not want to be anxious, just because you want to be a better husband, it won't happen because you just think about it. It won't happen because you just sit there and pray about it. There's a lot more involved into that becoming reality. Just like if I want to get in shape, just because I feel like getting in shape won't produce a six-pack. Would you agree? Clearly. So you have to decide to go to the gym. And when you get to the gym, you have to decide to actually work out at the gym, right? So it's not just that I have a gym pass or membership. It's that you have to choose to, get, to act and move forward. And, and then it's not just that, but it's diet. And, it's, and then also I would say how many of us have tr- committed to a New Year's resolution of getting into shape, but no one else was doing that. And so after day three, we gave up. But how many of us have been a part of a community that has done that together and created accountability and that actually took place? The power of community is what helps transform. Now, the classic example of this that's been such an influence um, in my life to see transformation uh, is not just the recognition that the will, the power of will is not enough to change. But uh, AA, AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, is an incredible place that takes people that have a chemical dependency on a substance like alcohol that has power over them and brings them to a place of transformation where they're set free and are no longer, um, no longer struggling with addiction. And if you, if you study AA, here are some of the, the top five steps. Number one, they say we admitted we were powerless over alcohol. 
that our lives had become unmanageable. They're powerless over their addictions. How are they going to experience transformation? They recognize there's a reality that they don't have power to do anything except surrender to the power that's over them. You with me? Sound familiar? Okay. Uh, came, came to believe, number two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And so they keep it very neutral, but um, the, the guy that started it, very Christian, uh, he was a Christian and recognizes that there's so much spirituality in this change. In order to see transformation, you recognize that there's a greater power that can restore you to sanity. Uh, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. There's a recognition that we have to, we have to move, we have to d- decide to move forward in our recovery. Uh, number four is made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. What they do is they recognize, um, they, they, they go through their lives and say, where are my faults? Where have I wronged? They examine themselves. They examine their false narratives. And about, I'm not going to do all 12 steps. Number five is they admitted to God, to ourselves, to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongdoings. Part of the process of transformation is being in a community that is for you and a safe place to say, this is my brokenness. I share this with you. And they support you along the journey. AA is brilliant for transformation. And the church needs to look a little more like AA. Because we're all addicts to some degree. And so um, let's go to this. So the way I see this working out in community, and I want you to see this, I'm going to close this with this, is number one, we have to recognize that we all live with false narratives, ideas. In Romans chapter 12, it says, uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Philippians chapter 2, 5, have the same mindset of Christ. Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. The word repentance is to change one's mind in Greek. So it begins with replacing false narratives, false stories that we live out. A lot of us, and I hear it every Sunday, we don't feel like we're valuable. We don't feel like we have anything good to, uh, about ourselves. We feel um, like we're damaged goods. That something happened to us in our past, that there was a childhood event, that something, a traumatic event happened to us for some of us. And that narrative has played all the way up into our adult life to where we're currently living our lives damaged by this event that happened so long ago. And I want to tell you that that narrative can be changed. That that is not the final story at all on your life. So every day we have to become aware of the ways we are living out of these false narratives. We, we have these about ourselves, about others, and about God. So transformation takes place when we recognize our false narratives and move into true, replace them with true narratives, true stories. And let me tell you this. The only God we're submitting to is one who's full of love and mercy. So, true narratives. I, I don't have time to get into that. We'll tease this out over the next couple of weeks. Uh, the second thing is spiritual disciplines. Uh, this is where we recognize that the, we, have to, we actually have to do things differently in order to experience transformation. For the alcoholic, it's, it's no longer drinking alcohol. Right. And learning to have different behaviors. And so for for us, um, really, any athlete knows the secret of discipline and practice. Right. Uh, There's a story in 2007. The Colts defeated the Bears 29 to 17 in the Super Bowl. And Peyton Manning was the quarterback of the Colts. And it rained on that day. So the ball was slippery and wet. And the the Bears quarterback, Rex Grossman, fumbled uh, a few times. And Peyton Manning uh, never fumbled once in that game. They won. 
a re- reporter found out that what Peyton Manning had done over time is every few weeks he would practice throwing a football that was soaking wet, uh, and, and his, his center would hike it to him, and he would practice over and over again, over and over again, handling a, a wet football just in case it was going to rain on any game he played. And so what we learn from th- th- those athletes, what we learn in our life, is we do things differently on purpose so that it shapes the, the way we do regular life. So we, we give up old behaviors and take on new behaviors. This is called spiritual discipline. Some of us need to give up the distractions in our life that keep us from fully living. Some of those things are major, like pornography addiction. Uh, alcohol might be something you need to give up. Uh, 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 your movies your, that, that consume your life. You don't have time for Jesus to read a Bible for five minutes, but you're watching the whole series of whatever that comes out on Netflix next. You know what I'm talking about? And I'm just confessing from the stage. That's something I struggle with. I'm not going to tell you what shows parenthood, but anyways, um, (laughs) romantic comedies and all those things we need to, we need, and those are, you know, and then we take on fasting and, and Sabbath. I want to commission you guys to Sabbath. I believe the way into the future is rest. We need to learn this. Um, and then, okay, I could keep going on that. I'm going to pause. The third thing is the community. You need to be in a community that's for you. That will keep you accountable to this life that you want. And the life that's outside of just confessing sin. The life that's confessing the good deeds you've been working on. That God invites you to pray for people at your workplace. They should hold you accountable to those good things. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's not just the negative stuff. It's the positive life that you desire. Your community that you have. And the best way to do that is be in a community group. Seriously, that has changed my life. So community, this, the social environment that surrounds the life you want. And last, uh, and then two more is the everyday life. Uh, so many Christians think it's about going into an artificial environment. This is an artificial environment. Do you know that? Because what's artificial is uh, you don't get to worship for 30 minutes every day together. This is a place where we're filling you up, where we're trying to encounter God, but where the action happens is when you live your lives Monday uh, through Saturday, when you leave church, that, that change and transformation happens in your everyday moment. That's why the 405 matters. When you want to be a good husband, it's not when you're reading the book about being a good husband. It's when you learn how to love your wife when you're angry and you come home. I'm just confessing now again. <laughs> And I already confessed it to my community, but when you come home and you have expectations of what the house should look like after a long day's work and what food should be on the stove, you know? Oh, okay. How many of you have done that? I'm just curious. Can you have any? Okay. Anyone want to repent right now with me? So what matters is that moment. How change happens there. And lastly, all this is guided and instructed by the Spirit. The only way to experience transformation is through the Spirit. So I believe um, Jesus wants to make you a better human. The only way to do that is to lay your life down for Him. Invite Him into your life and accept Him as your Lord and Savior and experience that transformation over time through the power of the Holy Spirit by changing false narratives to new narratives, by participating in authentic community, by allowing your everyday life to be the primary place where the Spirit of God works in your life for transformation, and by choosing uh, to let go of old behaviors and taking on new behaviors. This is how we enter into the kingdom. Amen? All right, let me pray. Invite the worship team up. Um, such a great, great time to be. Um, to be-
to be together as family on Sunday morning. I'm thankful for all of you being here. I just want to invite you to close your eyes and let's just pray. Uh, we we get about an hour and a half to an hour and 45 minutes to, to do this together. And it's really, it's, it's you know, we, we're trying to create space to encounter and meet God. And that's really what this is about for me as a lead pastor and what our worship team tries to do is bring songs that help you enter into a place of worship, to, to meet with God, preach sermons that help you um, uh, take life, the words of life, and bring it to Monday and Tuesday and, and reorient your life around the Word of God. Um, but also on Sunday to choose to listen to the Holy Spirit and say yes to the Spirit in your life. And as I was preaching, as I was preparing, I really felt like, you know what, let's just continue creating a culture of response. And what that means is uh, some of you, today is about repentance. It's about confessing the harmful behaviors, the old behaviors that you need to let go of. Things that are clearly outside of the way of life. And I want to invite you to repent this morning. I'm not going to have you stand now, but we're going to all stand in a second. I want to invite people to come forward after I'm done talking. So, so some of you, I just want to invite you to come forward and repent. Um, lost in masturbation and pornography, you struggle with that. Um, anger is something that you need to get rid of. Alcohol, abuse, and drugs. Um, uh, body image issues, that's for some of you here. There are things that you've, you've perpetuated in your life that's keeping you from the life of God. I want to invite you to, to just receive God's grace this morning. Repentance is a good thing. It's not a shameful thing. Some of you, um, uh, you you've been living the, the false narrative out that has been your identity for so long. And it is it is it has just corrupted your soul. And I want to pray God's new narratives into you that you are beautiful, that you are good enough, that God loves you as you are, not as you should be, that you're a son and daughter of the king. And that's if that's you're hearing it and you're like, that's me. I'm going to have you come forward as well. Because we're going to just pray over you. Lastly, some of you are feeling so lonely and you have no one to talk to. And I would just invite you to come forward and um, just as a symbol of loneliness and wanting to experience community. And then if anyone wants to be blessed with the Spirit, I would love to pray for you guys to be filled with the Spirit. That's what happens when we, come, when we encounter God. We just receive more of Him. So let's stand together. We're going to worship. Um, and I recognize, so all those things are, are said, would you just come forward if that's any of you as a way of just responding to what God's doing. So if you want prayer for those things, come forward. We'll have our prayer team come forward now as well. And, uh, we're going to worship as a family and we're going to pray. So if you need any of that, let's do that. So Lord Jesus, we thank you that your life is for here and now, that you care about our lives as we live them out, that you want to transform and bring renewal, that you want to replace these false ideas of ourselves, that you want to give us new behaviors, you want to free us, Lord. We bless you, Lord. Release us this morning as we pray and worship. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.
Oh God.